Well, once again, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Crossroads. We're so glad that you are here with us today, whether you're here at our Newburgh campus, at our West campus, or watching with us online. My name is Ross. I am one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm so thrilled to be here with you today as we are continuing on this series. We're in week three of our series called Luke. Uh, So we're going to go ahead and jump right into it today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to go. We're going to just pick up pretty much where uh, one of our pastors, Andrew Bondurant, left off last week. Uh, We're going to be starting in verse 25. If you have your Bibles today, uh, you can turn there. If not, uh, there should be one if you're here at our Newburgh campus or at West in the seat back in front of you. You can grab one of those and take it home with you even if you'd like. Uh, And if not, we also have a really big Bible that's going to be up here on the screen. We're going to be reading Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. This is what the Bible says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But check this out. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? If you're taking notes on this sermon today, and actually there's been a recent study done that 98% of people who take notes in church automatically make it to heaven. Um, (laughs) If you're taking notes uh, today, uh, I titled this sermon, Welcome to the Neighborhood. Welcome to the Neighborhood. Why don't you look to your neighbor and say, Welcome to the Neighborhood. Welcome to the Neighborhood. Uh, Come on, would you pray with me as we jump into our time together this morning? Uh, Lord, I am so thankful for who you are, for the fact that we get to come here, uh, we get to watch online, wherever we are today, and worship you. And thank you for all the good things that you have done for us. But Lord, also look uh, forward to the future that we have for what you've yet to do. Lord, when your kingdom is restored, well, we will be with you in eternity forever. God, I pray that you would speak to us today. Help me to communicate your word clearly and effectively. And may we be better as our time comes to a close today than when we started. In your name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question just by a show of hands, whether you're here or at our West Campus. Um, How many of you have ever had to move before? You had to pack up everything in your house, move to a different city, different state, maybe even a different country. Several people right here at our Newburgh Campus. Um, I'm at a season in my life where for me and my wife, it seems as though everything is happening all at once. Just this week, I am now officially 30 years old. I just had a birthday last Monday. I have no, thank you. Thank you. All this means for me is I have no excuse to do anything dumb anymore. I am a full blown adult is what it feels like. Um, my wife and I, uh, next month, we're going to be celebrating six years of marriage, which is really awesome. Um, it's also, it also marks February 1st means that we've been here at Crossroads for three years. And um, something I'm really excited about as well is that coming up in February, we, we are celebrating one year of being homeowners. Uh, just about a year ago, we moved from an apartment uh, in downtown Evansville to a house with a real yard and everything everything right here in Newburgh. And I knew that we had moved into an awesome neighborhood as soon as we were moving in. We had neighbors coming by and welcoming us, introducing themselves, giving us gifts, bringing us food. It was really awesome. They were so nice. They were so sweet. I said, this is such a great 
place. We started having conversations with people as they were telling us a little bit about the history of the house and the neighborhood. And I remember all of our conversations, no matter who it was, they seemed to always end with this. Every single time someone was saying bye, they would say, well, welcome to the neighborhood. As if to say, welcome to our tribe, welcome to our community. You are now welcome to do life with us. I love all my neighbors. I should rephrase. I love most of my neighbors. See, there was um, what I have called the donut debacle of 2018. Let me explain. We, um, one, one, one morning, it was about a month after we moved into our new place, um, we were walking out our front door and uh, we were coming into church, right? We were, we were getting ready to leave the house and go to church. I walk out my front door and there on my front lawn, hundreds, maybe even thousands of Krispy Kreme donuts spread all over my yard. Later on, I found out that later on that afternoon that uh, one of my neighbors, she came by and she let me know that she caught the people that were doing this in the middle of the night. She said she yelled at them from her window and she said, hey, what are you guys doing? And they said, we're trying to welcome these people to the neighborhood. I'm like, bro, if you wanted to welcome me to the neighborhood, put a thousand donuts in my mouth, not in my yard, right? We were late that morning for church uh, because I had to clean all that up. I wish I could say that this was the first time I had to deal with pesky neighbors, but the truth is it's not. Um, I remember growing up in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina. I lived on the same block for 13 years and I loved my neighbors. I loved all my friends that I had in the neighborhood, right? It was a great neighborhood, except for this, this one bully on my block. This, this one bully always you know, making fun of me in front of my friends, picking on me, pushing me down, sometimes even beating me up. Her name was Amanda. <laughs> Be quiet. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was rough being, being friends with Amanda. I, I remember also, I had, this, I had this neighbor like two houses down, her name was Miss Edna. And Miss Edna was, was, you know, all the kids were really afraid of Miss Edna. She was the creepy lady on the block. We knew that, you know, she drank a lot and she smoked a lot. She was kind of crazy. She would yell at you if you got too close to her dogs. She didn't want you going anywhere near her house or in her yard. She really creeped us out, man. Sometimes we'd be in the backyard and me and my my friends, we would be playing and we'd look over at her house. We'd see Miss Edna looking at us, staring through the window. And I remember as a kid thinking to myself, these people, they seem a lot less like my neighbors. And in fact, they seemed a lot more like my enemies. So when I hear scriptures like we're reading in Luke 10 and, and many other times throughout the Bible where Jesus says to love your neighbors, it makes me want to question that and go, yeah, but Jesus... Who is my neighbor exactly? It's a question that I'm sure many of us from time to time have asked. It's a question that's been asked for many years. In fact, it's the question that's being asked in Luke chapter 10. What happens is Jesus is speaking to what we know is a Jewish audience. He's speaking to a crowd of people, but the Bible says there's a man there. He's an expert in the law. Many believe this would have made him a lawyer. He speaks up and asks Jesus a question. The Bible says he wants to test Jesus. 
And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you're a lawyer. What do you know? You know the law. He goes, well, yeah, you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart and then love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus goes, you're right. So go do that. But then check out what the lawyer says. He says, but he wants to justify himself. So he says, yeah, but Jesus, who is my neighbor? As if to say, I I just want to be sure. I just want to be clear because I don't want to waste my time loving people that I don't have to. He asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? For me, I grew up in church and I learned very early on in church that as a Christian, you're supposed to love everyone, right? But as from my experiences, what I learned is that when Christians say love everyone, what they really sometimes mean is love everyone that looks like you, talks like you, acts like you, and thinks like you, and everyone else. You're supposed to love them with the love of the Lord, which is Christianese for, I can't stand you, but I'm going to be in trouble if I don't love you, you know, only to be followed up by bless your heart. If you've ever been told, bless your heart by a Christian, especially somebody in the South, you really know that they're saying, you are dumb. (laughs) I think it's a question that we're all challenged with. Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who am I called to love? Jesus, who am I called to serve, really? Who am I called to care about? It's a question that's being asked today in our world that we live in because in our nation, I truly believe that maybe, just maybe, we are more divided than ever over topics that are more polarizing than ever. And people are wanting to know, who's my neighbor? We live in a nation that really, some people believe this because I disagree with you, it gives me the right to disrespect you. That because we can't agree together, we can't be together. Because you don't think like I think, I cannot accept you. So it's a question that many people are asking today. Who is my neighbor? Are the donut bandits my neighbor? What about Amanda, the bully on my block? Is she my neighbor? What about Miss Edna? She gives me the creeps. Does she get the neighbor card? What about Democrats? Are they my neighbor? Are Republicans my neighbor? What about heathens, Jesus? What about sinners? What about bad people? Are they my neighbor? What about people from other religions? What about the people who talk bad about me on Facebook? What about my ex-girlfriend? Is she my neighbor? Jesus, I just want to know. Who is my neighbor? You got to love Jesus. You ask him these big theological questions, expecting a big theological answer. Jesus, who's my neighbor? He's a, he goes, well, let me tell you a story. Classic Jesus. Jesus goes on to tell the lawyer and his Jewish audience that day the story that we now know as the story of the good Samaritan. And it picks back up in verse 30. After he's asked the question, Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now check this out. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. I believe there are two things that we can really observe from this text today. And number one is this, if you're taking notes, number one, your task is more important than your title. 
Your task is more important than your title. Jesus, who's my neighbor? Let me tell you a story. You see, there's a guy, he gets robbed and he's beaten and he's left for half, half dead on the side of the road and a priest first walks by. Now, what's funny to me is a priest's whole job is to help connect people to God. Here he has an awesome opportunity, but does the priest stop? No, he continues to walk on by. I believe the priest represents this idea that some of us have sometimes where we see a problem and we think to ourselves, I didn't cause that problem. It's not my problem. Listen, friends, I wanna be loud and clear today. Just because it's not our fault does not mean it is not our problem. If we are not careful, we can walk past problems every single day in our life that we know the answer to, but we do nothing about it because we have the same mentality. It's not my fault, not my problem, not my darkness that I created, not my darkness to deal with. But friends, we are the church of Jesus Christ. We are not called to a life of convenience. I don't know where we got this idea from. It's not convenience that we're called to. It is conviction that we are called to. It's not our job to see problems and just move on. It's our job to see problems and move in, to step in, to not just do church every single week, but to be the church. I don't know about you, but I wanna be a part of bringing the solutions to this world. I don't know about you, but I wanna be a part of bringing the answers to this world. Come on, is there anybody who can agree with me tonight, today? That really, we, we have the answer. His name is Jesus. It's our job to bring the answers. Can't keep just walking by because we think, ah, it's not my issue. Secondly, though, Jesus says now that the priest, he, he passes by, there's, there's also a Levite who passes by. Who's the Levite? A Levite was generally known as an assistant to the priest. And he doesn't stop either. He just moves on. I think the Levite, he represents this idea that I see the need, I see the problem, but really I'm unqualified to deal with it. I'm just a lowly assistant to the priest. This is more like a priest problem. <laughs> Come on, we know this is an issue that we face today in church. You ask people, hey, do you want to volunteer in the kids' ministry? <laughs> Uh, no, I just feel like that's really not um, a part of my spiritual giftings. Well, I mean, do you want to pray for these people? I mean, come on, we need to be sharing our faith in our workplace and with our family, right? We need to be doing this. We're the church. Like, let's, let's do these things. Well, that seems a lot more like a, like a pastor problem, don't you think? I mean, they're going through some tough stuff. But listen, did we just forget that 2,000 years ago, the cross was the great equalizer. That now, because of what Jesus has done for you and I, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you've been through. Guess what? Jesus died for you just as much as he did for any pastor. We think that sometimes pastors have a deeper or more spiritual connection to God than we do. That's not true. That's not true. He died for you too. So I'm here to tell you today, you have access today. No matter who you are, you have access and all you need to do is call on the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he hears you, he sees you, he answers you. If you've disqualified yourself today, if you've counted yourself out, count yourself back in. You are qualified because of what Jesus has done. 
May we never have the mentality of the Levite. What's interesting about these first two men that Jesus mentions, he mentions a priest, he mentions a Levite. Both of these men, they have titles to their name. Now, typically a title tells people what you specialize in, doesn't it? Like, let me, let me put it a little bit more simply. Um, a title tells people what you do. For example, if you're a plumber, you work on pipes. If you are a carpenter, you build stuff. If you're a teacher, you teach students. If you're a doctor, you practice medicine. Politicians, they always tell the truth, right? This is, what I'm trying to get at is, is this seriously though, is that your title is usually attached to your task. Meaning, if we're not willing to fulfill the task, let's not mess things up by carrying the title. Meaning, if we're gonna call ourselves Christians, we better be ready and willing to carry out the task of a believer. That's why I'm really excited about something that's happening right now at our church. Many of you may know this, some of you may not, but we've had a ministry here for a while called the Section Host Team. And really, our section hosts, are, we've set, we say it at the end of every service, that the people with the red lanyards, they'll talk with you, pray with you, whatever you need. They're the kind of people that show up every single week, they get here early, they leave late, and they're ready to pray with people and, and do things as it pertains to the weekend. But a couple of weeks ago, some members of our section host team, they came to our staff and they said, listen, this whole section host thing, it's been great, but I don't think it's enough. Here's the deal, man. I, I, we see you guys doing things that we feel like we could do. Listen, you guys are praying for all these prayer requests throughout the week. Why can't we take some of these prayer requests and pray for them too? You guys are doing hospital visits as pastors. Man, we can do that, can't we? Why should we just be limited to the weekends? Yeah, but you're called the section host team. That only applies to like the section in the service. Yeah, I know that's our title, but really we don't really care about titles. We have a task. So you can change the name if you want to. They've changed the name. They're no longer called the section host team. Now they're called the care team. Why? Because they've said, we don't just care one day a week. We care every single day of the week. You can take our title. It doesn't matter to us. We realize we've got a job to do. We've got a call and we've got a task. This is what's happening right now in our church. People are living this thing out. I don't know, I, I've just decided in my own life that I don't want my best sermons to be preached on a stage. Listen, if, if our preaching is much better than our living, we are in trouble. Our preaching cannot be better than our living. Here's the reason why. When I was a kid, I played a lot of baseball, man. I, I traveled on a, on a team year round and I played a lot with this guy named Ryan. Ryan was one of my really good friends. And, um, and we got to know each other over the years playing baseball together. You know, we would play summer ball, then fall ball, then even in, through the winter and everything. And uh, Ryan was the kind of guy on our team that all the guys really looked up to I think Ryan was actually younger than I was, but I still looked up to him. He was the coolest guy on the team. He was the best player on the team, man. He was the funniest guy on the team. I remember all the guys wanted to be like Ryan. Every girl I knew wanted to date Ryan. I mean, like, Ryan was the man. But I remember after some practices and some games, sometimes 
Ryan's parents weren't really around. And, and so we would often, my dad would, would drive on our way home and take Ryan home. And uh, as time went on, I started to notice some things about Ryan's life that just didn't add up for me. Started to see that his parents were having some trouble. They were going through some things in his family. And later on, especially in high school, Ryan had some troubles of his own. Truthfully, what I saw was that Ryan was hurting, that Ryan was, was broken by this world, kind of robbed by this world. But instead of saying anything, I, I, taught, I, I thought two things. I, I said to myself, Ryan's the coolest guy on the team. Like, I'm just kind of, you know, me. I don't, I don't want to say anything, you know, and, and overstep. It's not really my problem, you know. I just... I don't know, maybe he'll think I'm weird if I do it. Also, Ryan goes to another church too, so like maybe they'll deal with the problem, like they'll handle it, and I don't really have to, right? What I was doing was I saw him, I saw the need, and I was just passing him by. I was like the priest and the Levite. And then I'll never, ever forget my freshman year of college, I got a phone call from my dad one night, and uh, with tears in his eyes, I could hear it in his voice. He had tears and he was trying to speak to me through the phone and he let me know that the night before, Ryan had been in a really bad car accident and, um, and he didn't make it, he passed. And immediately, you know what I thought about? I said, I, I don't know if Ryan is in heaven or not. And I could have known. I could have been a part of that. But when I saw him hurting, I just, I just passed him by. I made a decision that day that I was never, ever, no matter where I was or who I encountered, I was never going to let another Ryan pass me by. And I was never going to pass by them. What am I trying to get at? What are you saying, Ross? Listen, there are Ryans that you pass every day. There are people that you pass in your workplace and in your school. They are hurting. They are broken. They are tired. They are worn out. They are burnt out on religion. But there you are. And they talk to you. And they hang out with you and they see you. It is our problem to solve. Well, I don't know. Maybe somebody else. What if no one else is coming? You don't need a Sunday to preach a sermon. You don't need a microphone to have a message. You've got one in your heart. You've got your own story. Some of us just need to realize that we need to step up. We need to step in. We need to open our mouths and share with people what God has done for us. And maybe, just maybe, he'll do it for them. It doesn't matter what your title is at your job. You've got a job right here. You've got a job. You've got a calling. You've got a purpose. You've got a task today. Come on, is there anybody who can agree with me this morning? We've got a task. We've got a job to do. Well, I don't know. I don't know the words to say. Don't give yourself that title. You've got a task. I'm not really good with that kind of stuff. Don't speak that title over your life. No, you've got a task. Well, I'm a nobody. That, that may be what you think is your title, but you've got a task. And your task is so much more important than your title. Jesus tells this story, he's asked, who's my neighbor? Let me tell you about a man traveling one day, he's robbed, he's beaten, he's left for dead, and a 
priest passing by. You would have thought he would have stopped, but he didn't. Then a Levite, maybe he would stop. No, he didn't. And then Jesus starts talking crazy. He says something that would have offended everyone in the room. Check out what he says in verse 33. Priest passed by, Levite passed by, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now Jesus turns back to the lawyer and he asks this question. Which of these three do you think was a good neighbor? Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him? Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Point number two of this message this morning is this. Who they are doesn't matter as much as who you are. Who they are doesn't matter as much as who you are. Story goes on, Jesus says, priest passed by, Levite passed by, and then a Samaritan. Now remember, he's preaching to a Jewish audience. When he would have said this word Samaritan, everyone would have gasped, <gasps> stepped back. Why? Because Samaritans were enemies of Jews. They were a mixed race. Check this out, their actual physical appearance, the way that they looked would have represented rebellion to a Jewish person. They looked different, they talked different, they acted different, they believed in different things. You know what this was? This was classic racism. Classic racism. But Jesus says, yeah, the guy you hate, the people you despise, he's the one who stopped. The Samaritan, he stopped and he bends down, he goes to the place where the man is hurting, he picks him up, he bandages his wounds. He puts him on his own donkey. He, he takes him to an inn, to a safe place. He pays the price for the man. And he says, I'll be back for you eventually. Isn't it funny how Jesus works? You ask him a question and he asks you one right back. <laughs> he says, Jesus, who, who's, who's a good neighbor? And then he gives us a picture of what a good neighbor looks like and says, what do you think? It's almost as if Jesus is saying, you're asking the wrong question. The question isn't, who is my neighbor? The question is, are you a good neighbor? It's not about who, it's about you. Who they are is not as more important as who you are. I've told you to love everybody. Are you that kind of neighbor? Because isn't it amazing that as you get to know someone, you find out their real story and you find out why they are the way they are. You ever thought that before? You ever got it wrong? You judge somebody because the way they looked, talked, acted, right? And when you really got to know their story and why they do some of the things they do, you went, I got that one wrong. 
For me and my neighborhood, I remember, remember the bully, Amanda. I found out later in life that during the time period that I knew her, her and her sisters were being physically abused by her father for years. No wonder she bullied me and treated me so bad. She had never met a guy who had treated her right. Miss Edna, my creepy neighbor that all the kids were scared of. Sometimes when Miss Edna, because she would drink so much, she'd come over to my parents' house and when she would drink, she had loose lips. She would begin to just unload all of her stuff and she started telling my parents why she drank so much in the first place. Because years ago, her and her son, they had a falling out and he moved all the way across the country just to be away from her. So now she drinks so she doesn't feel, she's just lonely. It made me think, man, all those times that I thought she was just staring at us while we were playing in the backyard, what if she was just reminiscing on all the good times she had playing in the backyard with her son and thinking about how much she missed him? You know what those people needed? They needed a good neighbor. They needed somebody to say, welcome to the neighborhood. They needed someone to show them Jesus. Jesus, he finishes the story of the Good Samaritan. And then he looks back at the lawyer and says, which of the three do you think was a good neighbor? Which one? Priest, Levite, Samaritan. Notice the lawyer's response. Check out what he says. He says, I suppose the one the one who showed mercy to him. He says the one, he can't even say the word Samaritan. It's like he cannot even fathom that this story would be true. Why? Because it's a Samaritan. Samaritan wouldn't do that. It's almost as if he's thinking on the inside of him, Jesus, okay, I get your point. I get the moral of the story, but this isn't true. This is impossible, I suppose. Yeah, okay, I get your, yeah, good job. But this would never happen. This kind of love, I've seen it, it doesn't exist. This kind of love is impossible, Jesus. But maybe, maybe that was the point of Jesus' story all along. You see, what Jesus loves to do is drive us to the end of ourself because where we end, he picks up. I believe Jesus drives us to question things like this for a very good reason. He wants to show us a bigger picture. Jesus, this is impossible. Come on, like this is, love like this doesn't, who could love like that? So Jesus can say, I, I can. Yeah, but Jesus, how could you ask me to be the good Samaritan? How could I love like that? So Jesus can say, because I loved you like that. See, what Jesus is doing, I, I believe, is maybe pointing us to a bigger picture here, one that's so much bigger than just the story at face value. See, I don't know about you, but I know about me. And in this story, I'm not the good Samaritan. No, I know my story. I, I'm the traveler on the road. Jesus, 
Jesus is my good Samaritan. I just want to encourage someone today that when you and I were robbed by this world and by sin, when we were chewed up and spit out and left for dead, the Bible says that we were dead in our sins and religion passed us by and self-help passed us by. There was a good Samaritan. His name is Jesus Christ. He came to the place where we were hurting, to our lowly position. He bandaged our wounds. He pulled us up out of our darkness. He took us to a safe place and he paid the price for you and I on a cross called Calvary. And he said, just just wait, just hang on. I'll be back for you again one day. But in the meantime, welcome to the neighborhood. The truth is I could end the sermon there, couldn't I? We could close our Bibles, we could say amen, and then we could just walk out the doors. But the truth is it wouldn't do this story justice because here's my favorite part. Friends, if we're the traveler on the road. And if Jesus is the good Samaritan, crossroads, do you know what that makes us? We are the inn. Oh yeah, we are the safe place for the hurting, for the broken, for the lost, for those that were dead in their sins. We should be the place that says you can come, you can feel at home here, you can feel welcome, you can be at peace here. We will love you here, we will serve you here until Jesus returns. You are welcome. May we always be the kind of place that looks at the hurting, the broken, the lost, the down and out, the people who have been chewed up and spit out by this world, may we be known as the place that simply says, welcome to the neighborhood. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I'm so thankful for you that you modeled for us what it means to be a good Samaritan. That when we were broken, when we were dying, Lord, you came to earth with flesh and blood and you died for us. You paid the price for us. You welcomed us into your family, into your neighborhood. You created a community you call your church. So now, Lord, would you help us to reflect what you have done for us? Would you help us to see the travelers on the road to understand doesn't matter what this world has labeled us or titled us as, we have a task to fulfill. Lord, would you just remind us that it doesn't matter who they are, we know who we are. We are Christians. We are the church of Jesus Christ and we are called to whoever. Lord, I thank you that you modeled this for us and then you use us to be a part of expanding your kingdom. Would you help us to do that from this day forward? It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.